that simple kind of moment of of here's an idea ended up like the, the layers of it of meaning in it as far as a participation in the life death cycles of nature and a sort of an active participation in it and then also this the idea of a human ritual and of scattering ashes and all the layers of it just like kind of like just sizzled and I was like okay there's something here that I'm really interested in and I'm still exploring Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome to This week's episode of the Our Nature podcast, I am so, so happy to have you here, have you listening, have you learning alongside with me. This week's episode is with Emily Johnston. Emily Johnston is an artist and photographer who records the intimate landscapes of our relationships to each other and to our environments. I first got to know Emily because I was the editor of the second issue of a publication called The Scribner Hollow Post. And a profile of her was one of the main features. But as I got to know her, I became very interested in the thoughtful and deep way she uses natural materials in her art, such as in her ash drawing series where she scatters ash from communal fires out onto the snow and then documents them. Emily's journey of connecting with nature as a means for self-expression is something so many of us can relate to. And I love the way she explores the theme of mystery in her art and in her life. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Emily. In this episode, we talk about what it was like for her to grow up in Europe, her early sources of inspiration, the fact that mystery plays an integral role in her work and in how she interacts with the natural world, how spending three months in the Catskills turned into a permanent move, how this move upstate helped her reconnect with her inner voice and inspired her Ash Drawing series. We also talk about her latest project, A Portrait of the Island of Iona, how she continues to stay creative, the inevitability of grief in our relationship to nature, and what about nature inspires her. Whether you're an artist, an aspiring artist, a creative, or someone interested in working with natural materials, or whether you're none of those things and just a curious person, I know you'll get something meaningful from this episode. So let's jump right in to my conversation with Emily Johnston. Okay. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Our Nature, the podcast. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. I always like to start each episode by taking a walk down memory lane Uh and going back to your childhood because I think there's such a connection between our experiences when we were kids and then how we manifest those, you know, currently um, and moving forward. So, what was your relationship to nature like growing up in Paris? And in that, is there an observable difference between how you felt like people related to nature in Europe versus in America, if there was, if you saw anything? That's a great question. My relationship to nature growing up was 
was sort of distant and longing. I remember um, we would visit friends. I lived in this in the center of the city, and we would visit friends that lived outside the city who had a yard and lived near woods and um, driving home. I remember one specific day where I just cried the whole way home because I wanted a yard. <laughs> and even though we lived right next to a large, beautiful garden where we would play every day, and I think that... Um, took me a long time to come back around to to sort of to that longing in my own life but we can talk about that later um and it's interesting I think there's in America there's this sense of nature being wild and distant and being in parks in national parks and the national parks are kind of a a really unique uniquely American thing um that's true that that you know it's sort of a kind of one of our national treasures. And I think there's a lot more privately owned land in Europe. Um, But having said that, I think that in France, at least, I I can't speak for the rest of Europe, and and in Paris specifically, most people will will be from somewhere else and will have a family home somewhere else in the country. And it's always the country because there aren't as you know, most people are from a smaller place and come to the city. So I think that there is sort of an, a nostalgic connection to nature um, in French culture that's a little bit different from ours, whereas ours is a very wild nature. Um, a pioneering and, nature. A pioneering maybe. <laughs> nature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas, whereas it's more of a more connected to people's roots, I think, in Europe. Hmm. So. From growing up in Paris to moving, well, where did you go to school? I went to school outside of Chicago in okay. the suburb. So yeah. going to Chicago and then moving eventually to New York City for mm-hmm. a time. Talk about that. When did you start taking photos or when when did you start creating with nature in mind? I started photographing in high school before I left Paris and my subject was a lot more urban because that's where I was and moving here and to the Chicago suburbs I think it was I was always more interested in the textures of uh, like kind of urban decay and sort of I guess that's a little bit of a you know there's that that sort of adolescent rite of passage of like you know mm-hmm. peeling photographing peeling paint and all those kinds of things um and it was at the end I guess, of the four years that I started photographing portraits in natural environments. And that was the beginning of that exploration, I think, and was a lot and was starting to look at our relationship to nature or people's relationship to nature um, and photographing them kind of in in a wild space, in kind of wild movements that were not necessarily... um, part of our it's yeah I would sort of invite people to move in unconventional ways it wouldn't it wouldn't exactly be dance but it would be these sort of like you know thinking of yourself as like a wild creature and Mm. what would that look like and I actually haven't thought about that before so it's a really interesting question (laughs) that that's when it started what sparked that exploration for you was there something that you were influenced by in particular I think uh, in college, I looked a lot at the work of 
Ralph Eugene Meat Yard, and I was looking also at Sally Mann and... Who are both photographers. Who are both photographers, yeah, yeah. And I think that I I was very interested in representing a sense of mystery that I felt in the world, and I think that... Um, so the imagery itself was very connected to, to the photographers that I think I, I was consciously or unconsciously sort of absorbing and being influenced by. And then I think, I think it was, it wasn't, it wasn't out of a, uh, an intentional preoccupation or like inquiry into nature itself. It was more, it was, it was kind of about mystery. And I found a lot mm. of mystery in, in natural spaces and in, um, that immediately following that I started to photograph a lot of landscapes where there was a sense of like a narrow passage way that you would be looking into, whether it was a subtle one through grasses and trees or, um, or more obvious in, um, caves and cliff dwellings and things like that. Um, so, so yeah, it was always kind of about mystery. What did that mystery mean specifically to you? I think I grew up in a in a very religious um, or faith community, and I think that it was. I, and I always felt a little bit out of sync with that uh, view of the world. And mm-hmm. I think it was my it was a, a way of beginning to form my own sense of who I am and who we are and how we belong in the world. So, would you say that that would was your journey towards spirituality in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that makes so much sense. And I think so many people look to nature for those types of conversations to emerge or for, for deeper meaning, Mm -hmm. whether personally or just, um, you know, collectively between a lot of, um, different types of people. What, so so you were taking these photographs while you were in Chicago, or were you in New York by this point? I was in Chicago still. So what prompted you to move to New York? Um, I, you know, it, my partner at the time came for grad school, and I was very excited to move out of Chicago. I never really felt that connected to Chicago as a city or to life there. I think coming from a more cosmopolitan and pedestrian city, I was eager to be in a place where it was easier to walk and it was, you know, it, that felt as much as Paris and New York are completely different. There, there's some, there was something both in New York. Cities. They're both walking <laughs> cities. Exactly. Yeah. What was it like to create art in New York? Well, for the first couple of years that I was here, I didn't really create very much art, very much work. I was, I was shooting more commercially and when I finally did begin to work again, I was working with landscapes that I had photographed other places when I traveled. And I would hole up in my apartment and, and create collages, photo collages, essentially, onto these landscapes that I had photographed. So mm-hmm. I would use other materials um, in these photographs. And like once what? again, what other, what materials? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would use, what is it, just kind of like National Geographic clippings and different things like that that sort of interfaced with the imagery that I was using. I had photographs from Iceland that I was Mm. working with that had these really like um, 
that had like smoke coming or steam coming from hot springs and lots of like geothermal kind of the the mystery of geothermal activity obviously appealed to me and I would use so I I always kind of like I like materials that are residual of either personal history um, or residual materials from my life or either connected to my personal history so I found a bunch of National Geographic in my grandparents garage before they Mm. moved and my grandfather was a forest fighter forest firefighter um, and worked for the Forest Service out west. And he had, he eventually worked, was was sort of like managing the sign shops for um, for a lot of the western region. And he, they had, he always, or he told me once about how he had, um, they had just finished remaking all the signs for the park surrounding Mount St. Helens when the volcano erupted and they lost all the signs. So that was his little personal like <laughs> experience of that, of that, um, you know, geological event. But, um, so I found an issue, the issue that was from Mount St. Helens and from the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 80, was it 80 or 81 or something? I'm not sure. And used that, the smoke from that and kind of, well, I would just play with those, with those different, um, pieces as well as, Wrappers from what are those chocolates? I'm blanking on the name right now. The that it was those two guys in Brooklyn that started the chocolate Mast. company. Yes, Mass Brothers. And I would I would somehow have the gold foil. I would I had saved the gold and pink foil from Mass Brothers chocolates and would use that in conjunction with other imagery. I like it. So Reusing I always, materials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like the gold foil became kind of a big theme. So I had to continually buy more Mass Brothers chocolate. <laughs> How long did you live in New York? I lived in New York for seven years. And then, so you lived in New York, you were creating mm-hmm. art, you were also shooting commercial photography. Yes. And then you moved upstate. Yes. <laughs> and and what prompted that move? You know, I moved, I didn't intend to move. I went to spend three months in the Catskills. Actually, Sarah from Brushland, who I had worked with, um, suggested a house that she knew of that was for rent. And my partner at the time and I were like, let's go upstate for three months. Let's rent this house short term and just go make work and see what happens if we get away. Because I was finding it increasingly difficult to work here. I would, because what I what I started to say earlier is I would hole up in my apartment over holidays. It was my favorite time to work mm. because everybody on the 4th of July had things they were doing. They were out and it was just quiet and I had no, no one was emailing me. So um, holiday weekends are few and far between, and that's when I would mostly be able to work. So I thought, what if I just get out for a while and see what happens? Um, so I rented this house for three months and then what kind of never left. It? it was spring. It was late winter. Because that, that's important. Yeah, it was no, late, late winter, winter, actually. Yeah, it was late winter. It was still, well, spring, it still snows in spring up there. And, yeah. and the snow was an important part of of that experience for me, that initial experience. So where was the house that you rented? The house is in Bloomville, Bloomville. New York, which is, um, which is out near Bovina and Andes in the Western Catskills. Townspeople know a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> we'll describe that experience a bit more of being in the city and then leaving it to go upstate. What was that like from a creative standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a, emotional and spiritual well-being standpoint it was very quieting um and quiet obviously also 
But it was it was the beginning for me of a time of um, of reconnecting with my inner voice. I think, and I moved, you know, temporarily. I thought and was in a big house by myself for several weeks, a really big house, um, and surrounded by snow and building my own fires. And and it was incredibly liberating. It was just like, this is all I've ever wanted is sort of how it started to feel. And creatively, it having all the, the space inside of the house and the space around the house became incredibly stimulating where I found myself using packing materials to make sculptures, these sort of ephemeral sculptures that I hung from the ceiling and draped around the rooms. And I started designing all these things and just having tons of ideas and the work that came out of that time that ended up being, or has ended up being so far the most significant for me is the series of ash drawings that you've seen, I think that we've talked about, um, that came about as I woke up one morning to a fresh blanket of snow and was in this kind of like hyper awake creative state that I had rarely experienced in the distraction of living in cities Mm. where I was just like, this is like a canvas. Like, what can I do with this? You know, I photograph. And so here I have an opportunity to make something and photograph it and, and just to use my body to create, which I had never really done before. And so I experimented with different ways of mark making on the snow and, you know, like what, like, like walking on it and making marks with my feet and then dragging things and had kind of a limited, in the end, I was, I was sort of limited in the number of windows that I could actually photograph from. So I had to kind of be strategic and not, <laughs> yeah, not mess up all the snow, the snow before yeah. I came to something that I really liked. Um, and I, the first, the first sort of drawing I made on snow was my footmarks and then sort of, uh, what was alongside it? I had sort of dragged something and I thought of these two marks as like the breath and the heartbeat, sort of a flowing mark and a more of a staccato and and more of a staccato mark. And I wasn't satisfied with the subtlety of the indentation and I wanted something more dramatic and I kind of was like, what do I have that I could work with, you know? And and then I looked in the fireplace, at the fireplace and I was like, "Oh, I'll throw this and see what happens." And that that simple kind of moment of of here's an idea ended up th- like the, the layers of it of meaning in it as far as a participation in the life death cycles of nature and a sort of an active participation in it and then also this the idea of a human ritual and of scattering ashes and all the layers of it just like kind of like just sizzled. And I was like, okay, there's something here that I'm really interested in and I'm still exploring. So that became a series of, you called it the ash drawing series. Mm -hmm. What can you describe what that series was exactly? Like, was it a ritual of doing this and at different days or in different locations or? Yeah. Um, Since I ended up staying upstate, um, there was a lot of snow every winter. 
Um, and I didn't really revisit the project again for another year and a half, or I guess it would have been two, yeah, year and a half ish. Um, when I did, I was at a time of contemplating, I was contemplating relationships and, um, was interested in the, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm interested in working with materials that are residual from our lives and from personal history. And so, I began to gather and collect ashes from fires that that came from significant shared moments with others or with myself. Hmm. So, um, you know, before I moved out of that big house, you know, the last fires that we had had there, I saved those ashes and made a drawing with those. And then as I traveled over the next few months, I brought ashes back from some dear friends home in the south of France where we had a fire one evening and the next time it snowed when I was back upstate, um, again, I used those ashes. And so it, it became also this play between the places, the, the people and the places that my life, you know, it, it's sort of autobiographical in a way also. And how many works were in that series or how many pieces? It's an ongoing series and I've made a lot of images and I've probably, I probably have eight to ten different, um, different drawings that I've made on the snow and then photographed, which is what the drawings are. Um, I, I throw the ashes onto the snow and then photograph them. Um, I make a video as they're being, as I'm throwing them, and then photograph them at intervals as I add more ash, and then. Um, also sometimes photograph them much later as the ash has begun to melt the snow. So I have probably eight of those different drawing phases that I've photographed and, but, but as far as, but I'm, I'm interpreting them in lots of different ways. So when I show them, I'm, um, I guess I, I guess I would say I'm not really content with just photographing the marks and showing a simple photograph because I'm not interested in in the photograph. I'm kind of interested in the process. The process, and so I try to break down the actual photograph to to open up a sense of process in the making of the photograph, and also to reveal the material that is recording the the drawing. So to kind of like break down the photograph itself as not the essential thing. It's it's not about it being a it's a, a beautiful It's a photograph. documentation. It's of a the documentation. Process. Yeah. What has been the reaction to the photos? It's been really interesting to to see people's or to hear people's reaction. I think they're they're kind of mysterious. It seems when they go out into the world because people don't exactly know what they're looking at. Um, especially because I sometimes invert the photographs to look like a negative, or um, I've displayed or shown also the video broken into stills of the, the ash in motion in the air and things like that. So I, I've, the, the sort of the reactions tend to come as people understand what they're looking at and, and they've been really varied and, and it's, but it's also been interesting to see how people will see them and be like, they're black and white, but I imagine, but people will say like, oh, this feels like blood on snow. And some people feel are like, this looks like the cosmos. And so it's a little bit of a Rorschach where 
you know, you see what people, something about people in what they see in it. Yeah. It's, it's cool and it's so rewarding to see the work be something that, that draws people inward a little bit to their own thoughts and their own inner world. How has this work shaped your relationship to the natural world? Because you're working with natural materials and you're working with a lot of materials and you're, in, you're working in environments that you can't necessarily control. It's been extremely grounding in that respect and liberating to release some of the control. And that's really what really what draws me to it, actually, is that I'm working with something found, and sometimes the ash is chunky, sometimes the ash is thin, sometimes it's brown, sometimes it's gray, so I can't control the aesthetics of it. And then there's a sort of collaboration with the wind when I actually throw the ash, and so sometimes it scatters the way I imagine it's going to, and and then other times it does something completely different. And sometimes I have a high vantage point to work from I photographed from the second floor of a friend's barn one time, and then other times I'm on the back steps. And so there's all of these sort of circumstantial factors that just affect exactly what it is. So it really just becomes about the gesture itself and about just making time to do it and see what unfolds and even see how I feel like photographing it that day. You know, I always... I always set up the camera in advance so that I can make a video on a, in a kind of frontal view, but then I kind of like tromp around afterwards and and see how it turns out. And there's even there's even a time that I was in Oregon last winter, and all I had was a friend's truck, and I went out into these woods where my grandpa actually used to fight the forest fires, oh, wow. and brought ashes from my fire. I was in I was kind of retreating in a friend's farmhouse and. Um, watching her dogs, and so I had long nights to myself, and so I brought some of those ashes and threw them in the woods that my grandpa had worked in and where he'd fought forest fires. And so it's got just these interesting layers of, like, it's wood ash, but, yeah, it's it's really a ritual. And and so to answer your question about how it connects me to nature, I think it really allows me to, in yeah, in a ritual, ritualistic way, enter into a sense of belonging in nature and, and having a, or just like really deepening my awareness of my, my place within the cycle of nature. There's an element of surrendering to whatever circumstances you're given. Yeah, absolutely. And I think an element of discovery also, because it's sometimes when things don't go the way you expect that you discover something new. And it's inevitable along the way that once I've shown something and I've had a certain response, um, you know, I find myself sort of feeling like, oh, I, or, or I've had a certain response to the work that I, where I particularly like it. I, I sort of instinctively like want to recreate that or create something like that. And so to have all these factors intervene that make it impossible to do the same thing twice um graphically or aesthetically it it's yeah it's a process of discovery and it's I mean it really becomes a metaphor for life right (laughs) yeah (laughs) I would say so (laughs) it says in the about section of your website Mm -hmm. that your work takes 
you around the world recording the intimate landscapes of our relationships to each other and to our environments. What does that mean to record the intimate landscapes of our relationships to each other and our environments? I think that I wrote this about section when I was both making my own work and also doing commercial work that involved a lot of portraiture and photographing people in their homes and in their natural environments. And it's something that I've always loved and I still do occasionally um, have those assignments. Um, but it was, it, to me, it was, I realized that I, I love that because it is connected to the way that I work in my personal work. And and there's a sense in which having the privilege to witness and document the intimate details of people's spaces and their homes and how they live and how they keep their things and put their things, um, they're sort of the, the I guess, like manifest, the sort of like static manifestation of their, or static's the wrong word, the manifestation of their of their rituals and how they live is very connected to my process of sort of examining my inner world via these, these rituals working with, with kind of both personal and natural materials. So you take portraiture and sometimes commercial Mm -hmm. and you have this ash drawing series that's ongoing. Mm -hmm. What else are you working on right now? I'm working right now on a, a book project that's really exciting to me where I have an opportunity to create a portrait of an island in the Hudson River called Iona. The island has a really fascinating and varied history from, you know, initially being home to or actually hunting grounds for native tribes in the area to being, quote-unquote, purchased by a Dutch... Um, a Dutch man who made, who attempted to have a vineyard, but the soil was terrible and the wine was awful. Um, so that, that didn't last very long to then being a recreational site for New Yorkers to get out of the sum, out of the heat of the summer and picnic to then becoming a munitions depot for the military in the last world war. And now being a a sort of semi-abandoned park service. I mean, it's technically a bird um, sanctuary. Bird sanctuary. Thank you. There's so many visible layers of this history from uh, on the island, from you know places where the rock has been, you know, like these big marine rings, like metal rings, have been like I don't know, planted into into these natural rock outcroppings, and you know, a large portion of the island was was um, dynamited and remove a rock was removed at a certain point so there's all these traces of human of of human life on the land and then and then including you know this sort of like wild rugged like flora like you know whatever the natural like this sort of like wild trees and grasses and then you kind of stumble across a very domestic feeling little enclave where there used to be a little house and somebody had a garden and you can you can feel the difference in the vegetation that's what I was looking for um so how you, big is the island um you know I don't I'm not sure it's not much more than 
a couple square miles, if that. But don't qu- – yeah, I'm not exactly sure. But um, a smaller island. It's a smaller island. Yeah, it's a smaller island. And it also houses two of the remaining munition, munitions storage buildings that one of them is in significant disrepair and the other is currently used by the Palisades Interstate Parks Commission for storage of various materials that they – they use on a regular basis and also to a significant archive um the park's significant archive of geological and biological artifacts as well as lots of native american artifacts and then a significant photographic library and things like that and i so i have the opportunity to both to both photograph the landscapes, but then also to research in this archive and kind of tease out different aspects of the land's history, really, which is really exciting. It's very mysterious. It is very mysterious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A common theme in your work. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to write a book about it? So I'm making a book. It started as a book of photographs and drawings and I quickly began to write as I was in the archive more than um, photograph or make drawings. And so I'm incorporating some of the, some of my kind of field notes from just being there and, um, and I'm revisiting writing, which I haven't done in years. And, and I'll combine the three different mediums um, for the book. Where, when can we expect this book or where could we find the book once it's published? That's a good question. I have, I don't have a firm deadline to finish the project. I hope to be finished by next fall and stay tuned as far as where you'll be able to find it. And if people want to learn more, they can go to your website, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you say? Yeah. It's emily-johnston.com. And your Instagram is? Is Emily double underscore Johnston. (laughs) The way of the world today. The way of the world today, exactly. (laughs) How do you continue to stay creative? I've learned to accept that I require a lot of solitary and quiet time and staying connected to my my inner life and also to nature um, grounds me and and allows me to keep exploring visually. Do you find that you get a lot of inspiration from where you currently are upstate? Has has that landscape influenced your work at all? I think the intensity of the seasons where I am has influenced my work and that sense of kind of coming back to the sense of cycles and um, and how they affect our bodies and our minds, and how we live with the different, how we live with the different seasons with ourselves and with others, um, has been the most influential thing. That's super interesting because I study Ayurveda, mm-hmm. and in Ayurveda there are six seasons. Oh, really? Instead of four, uh-huh. and it's it's they're basically like. Well, they call there's one called the rainy season. Um, you can correlate them to you know they correspond with the months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there's early winter, late winter, things like that. So each, most of, you know, I think winter is broken up into two seasons. There's a rainy season in summer. Um, There's early fall. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's it's um it's really connected to what happens to the land, mm-hmm. and therefore what happens to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Because with each corresponding season, they talk about how the body is shifting alongside the temperatures and the weather. Um, they call them the gunas mm-hmm. of, which are the qualities of each season and how that affects us. So. Um, it sounds like you're really tuning into that frequency of 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 our relationship uh, to the changes that we go through each year. Yeah, absolutely. And I really love that that sense of early fall and late fall, and and how yeah, the the, the sort of tuning into the sensibility of the transition and not just the state the transition mm-hmm. into a new state is really fascinating to me. Is there anything else that you would like to share about your connection to the natural world or about the how, you know, your work or? I think the thing that I've been thinking about most, I just, um, I just had the opportunity to retreat to a monastery um, on the California coast for a few days and just to reflect. And I listened to... It was a silent retreat, but I listened to a podcast because <laughs> I'm addicted. Perfect. This is a podcast. <laughs> um, what podcast? I listened to Krista Tippett's interview with Joanna Macy on On Being and um, resonated so deeply with Joanna Macy's work. First of all, she's just kind of an incredible human being, brilliant human being. But she, one thing she talked about was the... Um, or one thing I got from it was sort of the inevitability of grief in our relationship with with nature in our day and age as we see the very concrete ways that we have treated nature as a, she says this very dramatically, which I think <laughs> is true, you know, I would tend to like soft pedal a little bit yeah. more, but she says, you know, we've treated nature as a dump and a storehouse, you know, and we've just dumped and we've taken. And, um, I think it's hard for me because I, I, I tend to just want to look at the bright side of things. And I think that it's inevitable as we even sense like our seasons changing and the qualities of our seasons changing, that there is an element of, um, I don't know if there's this profound sense of disruption that something that that is a force that we could draw nearer to 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 know more who we are has that we have somehow intervened in that in that force in a way that changes who we are and is changing you know it, it's because it, we are not separate from nature exactly we are nature yes we are nature and um our nature that's the name exactly (laughs) yes yeah and um so that's something that I'm thinking about a lot that I that the book that I'm working on will be really exploring um in our historical relationship to the land and um indigenous relationships to the land 
and just kind of the the toll our industrial society has taken on on ourselves as a as a part of the land um is that a role you feel like you are inspired or drawn to play in terms of you know creating art and hopefully sparking a conversation or is that something that you actively contemplate or is it just a natural um effect of of producing what you create I think it's both. I think that I've, as I've, as I've, you know, considered my work and how connected it is to nature and to the land and to cycles. And, um, I've, I think that I, I feel a lot of the grief and the fear of what, what our world is going to become like what our natural world is is becoming and how that will affect us it has often or for a long time it just felt sort of large and overwhelming to me and I and I sort of was kind of in this place where I was like I'm not an activist I'm an artist and it felt like those two things even though there are you know there are artists who embrace both both of those things who I admire tremendously Um, but I think that now, like you said, it's, it's become, it's an inevitable part of, of seeking out and living into our belonging to nature is, is facing what, what, you know, our society has, our human, you know, what the human race has, has done to, to the natural world. And, and so I'm starting to sort of explore a way that maybe I don't have to label it one thing or the other, that it's just, it's kind of just a part of being human, I think, now to, to say, okay, we have to face this and we have to, this is a part of our reality. And and I'm interested in as much as possible examining and looking at reality, um, even in, um, like, I don't know, it, it feels connected to mystery in a way that I can't quite articulate. Well, I think there's so much about nature that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think inherently as humans and as animals, we have perhaps an instinct to explore nature, connect with nature. Mm-hmm. That's why this po- I created this podcast because I felt that the closer we can get to the natural world, the closer we can get to ourselves and the more we can begin to care for the environment that we exist within rather than trying to block it out or conquer it. We can realize that it's there for us and we have to be there for it and it doesn't need to feel so shameful or we don't need to feel so guilty. Could we feel just gratitude and maybe that will create some compelling changes and um, Mm -hmm. inspire people to take action in a way that supports uh, preserving the natural world. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think our grief and our pain is if we can sit with it is ultimately just covering a sense of longing, you know, and for what we want. And it's a productive thing to, to be with it. Thank you for that. (laughs) The last 
five questions I like to ask yes. are a lightning round. Okay. Um, say whatever first comes to mind. What is your favorite place in nature? The first thing that came to mind was canyons. Any and that particular canyon? <laughs> and that surprised me. No, but I'm just going to really go with the first thing that came into mind. <laughs> Lovely. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that you most resonate with? I think wood. Hmm. Trees. Yeah. What is one thing we can do to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? I think stop and slow down and, and breathe the air we're breathing consciously. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? That I'm a being that's a part of something and not separate from what's around me. Complete this sentence. Nature brings me joy. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. <laughs> this has been so, so delightful. Thank you. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.